Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Welcome to another episode of Real Presence Live. Joining you from the Grand Forks studios, Father James Gross, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, joined, as always, by my classmate, Father Jason Leffer. Good morning. Good morning, Father Gross. Again, this is becoming old hat for us. I love it. It's, it's it seems st- like it was only a week ago that it, we were sitting here. It's starting to feel here. very comfortable to be here. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we want to thank all of those who participated throughout the course of the live drive uh, for Real Presence Radio. Radio uh, last week, and uh, we were privileged to take a couple of hours of airtime and inviting folks to support this apostolate. And back we are again for our regular monthly tour with some great uh, uh, conversations about to happen as we're coming to you from a um, somewhat uh, smoky Grand Forks. A lot of the Northern Plains is suffering from what I see, according to this website I have pulled up, 92 active wildfires in western and northern Alberta. Alberta, to the west and north of and Edmonton. My count, it looks like 16 of those are out-of-control wildfires. So. Something like that, yes, yeah. Um, in uh, relatively relatively rural areas, I'm sure, which makes it more difficult to uh, to attack them, but there have been tens of thousands of people evacuated from nearby towns, and all it takes is a steady northwest wind to bring some of that uh, our direction. It's definitely bringing the smoke down here, and it's, it's, it's affecting us, but we will... We will push through. Yes, indeed. Wildfire, wind, rain, snow, <laughs> what have you. We are here. Yeah, like like that old Lord. refrain of the, the postal carriers <laughs> and the, the post office, right? Uh, they won't uh, stop us from our uh, um, from our rounds. So it makes this it's maybe a precursor to the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming here with all the fire coming down. So well, we certainly do pray for um, uh, increase in in uh, moisture and and for relief in, in those areas because it's rather early in the season for for. Uh, areas to have to be dealing with this. Um, just the same as we uh, prepare to begin with our programming today, Father, I'd like to call upon you to start us off with an opening prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. God, our Father in heaven, we, uh, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you glory. May we be your great glory. Heavenly Father, we are very conscious of the ascension of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the human nature, uh, to the right hand of power and authority in heaven, where he is seated to mediate uh, night and day ceaselessly for all things for humanity, where Jesus said, anything we ask in faith, he will obtain for us from the Father, and we will know because he is going to obtain the divine spirit descend upon us in uh, in 10 days now on Pentecost. And so, Heavenly Father, we are filled with eager expectation at the coming of the sending of the Son and the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, where we are, we are one with you in all things through faith and through adoption. Father, send your word to us now by the power of that Holy Spirit come into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our memories. Touch us, inspire us, make us fully alive, make us desire to be in union with Christ in all things and to never be separated from you, Heavenly Father. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. In the name Amen. Of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Saint- 
John the First. Pray for us, Pope St. John the First. Yes, uh, his memorial is today, and as Father Leffer had alluded uh, during the prayer, we are coming to these final days of Easter and some important solemnities that are coming up. So we'll be speaking about that uh, in part during the Straight Talk segment, but we will want to hear from you as well. That number is 877-795-0122, and we'll begin that segment at the bottom of the hour. But we have some important business to take care of first as we return in our march it's a little pun <laughs> down literary <laughs> lane today and uh we have nancy gord with us uh, today uh welcome back to real presence live well thank you so much happy it, to be here yeah yeah it's a, it's it's overdue for our discussion i remember a couple of months ago we were talking about some of the possibilities and one of the things mm-hmm. that we mentioned was um a, a book that may seem to a lot of people like a one-hit wonder of an american author from the mid 1800s louisa may alcott uh, little women which is really a um a staple of uh, early american literature so why don't you just go ahead and uh, introduce us to what we're going to be discussing today? Well, Louisa May Alcott, who actually kind of parallels or mirrors the character Joe in the novel Little Women, uh, wrote a lot of sort of sensational pieces. She needed to make money to help out her family, which um, were at times, I mean, they were destitute, even poorer than the March family is in the book. And she wrote a lot of sensational stories either anonymously or with a pen name. And then she started writing this book, Little Women. There were some publishers interested in it. She came out with book one, which really talks about the March girls, four sisters, ages like 11 to 16, and their mom, who is maintaining the home front while their father is a chaplain for the Union Army in the Civil War. And it takes place in Massachusetts. So we see them, we see their faults, we see their talents, and mostly we see their great love and support of one another. So it's, that's book one. Now at the end of book one of Little Women, she says, Dear readers, you know, if this was something you could embrace, let me know. Well, it was very, very popular. So she wrote book two, which really covers their courtship, their marriages, the children they have, and of course, the saddest chapter of all, Beth's death. Yes, one of the sisters who who passes away, and the uh, the, the the deep affection that the the sisters feel for her, and that untimely that untimely demise. So, so Nancy, there's a, there's many many themes that we can get into here, but. Maybe we should take a few moments at the beginning here to actually talk about Mary Louise Alcott herself. Louisa May Alcott. Sorry, there we go. Let me get it right. <laughs> right. Let's get it. What was that, George? What are you saying? <laughs> the, the, um, the, in the fact that why this is so important for America, it's, one, it's really one of the first American movements out of transcendentalism and mm-hmm. uh, the, the New England area and Henry David Thoreau and and all, all these uh, 
this whole famous movement. And so just, I, I know we don't have Father Slattery with us this morning. I'm sure he would have put this element in there for us, but that the whole transcendentalism was a religious movement and it has to do with um, um, respect and individualism, um, mm-hmm. nature, that, that yeah. exaltation the, the ex- of nature, the, yeah. the goodness of the person, the goodness of nature that you can experience God in the, the immediate, the here and now. And, and really it's like kind of, developing the self and self-reliance and self-actualization what, what and and then so i bring that up because for for herself i mean really this is in some ways it's close to an autobiography for her oh but, yes but what, what's what's what are some of those strong themes then that come through this work because of the influence of that religion well and actually also there's a sense that there is the divine within each of us to be explored and developed uh she had a very intellectual, and I would say in a way, kind of a wayward father in that he wasn't dedicated to the needs of his family. And Louisa was surrounded by brilliant minds. I mean, she was quite a fan of Emerson, who helped the family out financially at times, uh, throw Hawthorne's family. So, I mean, she traveled in some very lofty circles as a young person. And I, I think... In the book, and Father Slattery and I talked about it a little bit, the fact that there really isn't a lot here, even though when Mr. March returns from the war, he is a minister, there isn't a lot here about being in a church, attending services, listening to his sermons. And I personally find that very curious, is the fact that that is kind of removed from the book. I think what we get from the sisters in terms of their goodness comes from their charitable acts and their willingness to develop as a human being, to become constantly better. And I think this is the transcendental influence. Right, and that comes through in, in, as we get to know the the, the people themselves. That they're striving for goodness, they're striving for perfection, their battle against selfishness towards charity. Um, yeah. So the and taking you know, looking, reaching out to those who who do not have that you become a better person by by giving instead of, uh, right and, and sacrifice. Right, right, and work. There, there's a strong emphasis here on work, like the, oh. um, like the like kind of the harder you work, the more you're going to be benefited. That kind of those kind of themes, and that, right. that all comes out of that movement. Okay. Yes, very much. Um, we are visiting with Nancy Gord, who is uh, uh, helping us dive into a classic work of American literature, Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed that I, I just wanted to mention right away here is that, um, and, and I uh, hadn't read this as a younger person, but I read it relatively recently because I'd been hearing a lot about it. There had been a cinematic adaptation a couple years ago that neither mm-hmm. father and I had seen as it happens, but, um, you know, there were, it, it became more kind of in the public conversation recently and um, one of the characters that, that stayed with me is uh, this aunt uh, Josephine March, oh. this uh, <laughs> sort of a comic foil uh, <laughs> you know, it just uh, is it, this, um, you know, stereotypical sort of um, uh, battle axe character, you know, th- that sort of thing um, you know, what uh, what comes to your mind as, as you think about her and her, you know association with the family well, she's a very important part of the book, even though a secondary character, but she she's one of those people who covers up their affection 
and their feelings with this very kind of brisk, abrupt, critical air because she is very generous. I mean, when she passes away, she leaves her home, her estate to Joe, which in later books becomes the site of a school. But, uh, you know, she's not going to let them know that she's a softie at all. She's going to make sure she's very stern and critical as needed. And she does a lot for both Joe and Amy, because Joe, at the beginning of the story, is sort of a companion to her and spends time with her in the home. And then Amy takes over that role later on. And, uh, no, she's just one of those people where, you know, you, you have kind of a crusty exterior, but this soft, doughy heart. Mm-hmm. And um, along with Mr. Lawrence also, who is very much a benefactor to the family, Lori's grandfather. Mm-hmm. He's another character I like very, very much because he's in the background. He isn't ostentatious with his charity. He's very quiet with it. And uh, and then, and of course, another. while we're talking about secondary characters, I find the character of Professor, the German Professor Bearer, yes. uh, fascinating. And sometimes I think, well, Louisa bowed to the pressure of her readers and married off Joe. Yeah, okay. And uh, I, I almost, I wish she hadn't, yeah. actually, but... but she caved into that victory. Everybody wanted her to marry Lori. But mm-hmm. Alcott did say, no way, no how is she going to marry Lori. So she invents this older gentleman. You know, so it, it, it might be worth touching on that right now. We can maybe after the break and come into the sisterhood yeah. and talk about the sisters yes. and so forth. But you bring up an important point, and I know a lot of modern kind of scholars, they they want to look at Joe and Lori, and they, they kind of use them as, you know, like, and because I think in her real life, even Louisa, she has her own self-reflections about, you know, she'll say, well, I was like a man trapped in a woman's mm-hmm. body kind of thing. And yeah. so, yeah, same-sex attraction and, kind of and questions. those kind of things will, will come up out of this. And, and But I think you're right, in real life, she, she really did um, regret, like, kind of marrying Joe off in, in the end. And and she said she said that Lori was the the counter counter of who she was in life, and she said they were an inspiration to each other. But in no way would they have married each other. Uh-huh. So. Right, right, for various reasons, and and also compatibility was part of it too. Mrs. March even says because she is very pragmatic, and I think more modern in her approach toward her daughter's marriages. Yes. You know that wealth shouldn't enter into it social standing, but truly a loving companion with whom you can work through all of life's problems and joys. And we will continue this conversation as we're talking about Little Women by Louisa May Alcott with uh, Nancy Gord. And we'll uh, resume this right after the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Have you ever wondered if your family's past struggles have affected you personally? I'm Father Chris Alar. You and your ancestors are all part of the body of Christ, so you should desire healing for them for the consequence of their past sins. 
Evidence suggests that these consequences can even be passed down through generations. While God does not hold you personally responsible for the sins of your ancestors, He does allow the effect of their deeds to reverberate from one generation to the next. The sins or sanctity of your family members may impact you. So learn how to break free from any sinful bonds in your life. There is hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost. And to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. In addition to eye exams for children and adults, Lumen Vision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard-to-fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about Lumen Vision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. On a Thursday, Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer, priests of the Diocese of Fargo, who are uh, joining you for our Real Presence Live literary uh, lane uh, saunter here today. At the bottom of the hour, we'll begin our Straight Talk segment. You can leave questions on the Facebook page for Real Presence Radio, as well as calling in 877-795-0122. We like to try to prime the pump a little bit early and invite people to think of those questions that you may, may want to ask about various things happening either on the local or universal level with regard to uh, the church and the faith, and uh, give it our, we'll give it our best shot. So we're going to return to this discussion about uh, really a classic of American literature from the 19th century, Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, uh, a great character study when you look at these various sisters. And we really can't help, uh, we were discussing briefly, Nancy, during the break, really mm-hmm. can't help uh, but, um, uh, you know, look through... Uh, yeah, look through a various uh, lens or perspective, um, trying to you know read back into some of the some of the motives or you know why uh, various characters are the way they are. And you um, reminded us of what you called the psychoanalytical literary lens that uh, yeah. a lot of critics bring. To, yeah, Father Leffer is counting the number of syllables on his fingers of that daunting phrase. So if, uh, if you could just uh, help us enter into that, uh, just kind of what, what you've come across or, or what you mean when you, talk about, uh, when you talk about that approach. Well, that approach can be very tricky because we don't want to look simply at the biography of the person. Mm-hmm. Because we all tend to put our life experiences somewhere in our writing. 
but rather what was in the author's mind, what was in the author's intent, what was in the minds of the characters. And there is such a strong parallel between Alcott's growing up and the March girls' growing up that it's just impossible to divorce the two. And I will give, and we talk about Joe, who is obviously Louisa May Alcott herself, who never married, who didn't have an inclination to marry, and uh, ended up raising her niece because her younger sister, May, after whom Amy is patterned, passed away. Mm. And so she raised Lulu, Louise, and then she also supported her two nephews after their father had passed. So she was very active in family. I mean, what is so beautiful about this book is the importance of family and home. Right. Even though the girls are fairly independent. I mean, Amy goes away to Europe, I mean, for many, many months that add up to years. Joe goes to New York. But the feelings of Joe are very similar of the feelings of Louisa, except that Louisa married Joe to the professor. And I think, of course, who am I to rewrite a classic, right? But I think <laughs> the book would have been better if, if she hadn't. There was such a clamor from the public. You know, and then we're talking about the Victorian era. You know, to be happy, you have to have a husband and children in the home life. And Louisa broke that mold. And you'll notice in a lot of Victorian literature, when you look at it with a psychoanalytical lens, the people who, the women, especially who really break away from the classic mold, are those in the artistic community. We saw it in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo when we discussed that. Right. Uh, and that with one of his enemy's daughters breaks away with her accompanist to become an artist. You see it in The Awakening by Chopin, the um, character of Mademoiselle. So this whole sort of thing that if you can devote your life to art and you're kind of avant-garde and out there, you're accepted a little bit more in these Victorian novels. But I, I just want to mention one more character. Mm-hmm. Louisa May Alcott had a sister who passed away, much the way Beth did. And the character of Beth, if you want to go psychoanalytical, she wants to remain very childlike. I mean, if you remember the mention of her dolls, which she keeps with her for a long, long time, her kitten, mm-hmm. she stays very young at heart and doesn't want to leave home. So believe me, psychoanalysts have had a lot to say about that character, her unwillingness to grow and move forward. And she basically dies of a wasting disease. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can't help but love Beth, though. I mean, they mentioned her that they didn't realize they had a saint among them. And she is homebound that you, I mean, by choice. But... The two times we see her really going out is when she goes to Mr. Lawrence's to play his piano, which not only expresses her gift but gives him pleasure, and she gets scarlet fever by going to take care of that poor family with so many children when her mother is away. And that's how she gets sick. So when you look at these two, which are very bold moves for Beth, look at she does it for others. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, and the self sacrifice. Yep. 
all the sacrifice that you see in here. And some of them, if you remember, the story opens up at, at Christmas. And uh, this, this book has been made into movies, plays, television series. And it kind of ebbs and flows in popularity. But uh, if you recall, they give their Christmas breakfast to this very family that Beth visits when they're sick. And it was going to be a little joyful, special breakfast. And they give it up and they go to the family and spend time with them. And then they come home to a very humble breakfast. So there's that self-sacrifice. Joe's one beauty is her long hair. And she sacrifices that for money to give to her mom, who has to go up to tend her father in a union hospital in Washington. Or actually, she'd be going south, but yeah. So, so many acts of self-sacrifice. And I think these are the Christian elements of the book that we see. You know, that, that repentance for one's selfishness. The willingness to grow and change. And perhaps in the transcendental view to become more toward the divine. You know, there, there's a number of other themes, too. And one, I'm going back and forth, which one would be more important here to touch on? Maybe, I think, I want to grab the theme of, of the role of marriage, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a more ancient tradition, traditional understanding of marriage is maybe like, like an arranged marriage, where it benefits the families, it benefits the community, mm-hmm. where there's this emphasis on... Um, societal structure, societal maybe. structure, yeah. the whole kind of thing, and so we, we mm-hmm. really um, this movement and this book really kind of emphasizes it. Where th- there's an emphasis there, it's, again, one of the components of transcendentalism is the individual, the individualism, self-actualization, self-realization, and the the more I'd, I'd say, the more traditional Christian understanding is actually the whole for the whole body, mm-hmm. like everybody benefiting. Mm-hmm. So there there's a real emphasis here and it's and shown through the relationships of the the dating and the marriages that that come to be and even the mother stresses this you know she herself was in a more i'd say traditional marriage uh, to her husband but but then she's to each of the her daughters she's emphasizing this individualism that they need to seek out uh you know their own personal happiness in regard to to marriage. What I mean, what what would you say in regard to that, Nancy? Just that whole there's almost a, a changing of the idea of what marriage is about, what it's for. I certainly like the part about Meg and John's marriage. Those newlyweds, having the twins, and and the the strife and the joy that comes with having babies. That was so realistic. The way Alcott approached that, being newly married, learning about each other, having children, dealing with that growing family, I think is true in modern times. Now, one thing that I I really find refreshing about Mrs. March, and I think I may have stated it earlier, that she wants her girls to be independent and strong, and I think she actually comes out rather to be happy spinsters than unhappy wives. And she really views the husband as being a companion, an intellectual companion, a friend, and then, of course, with all the loving aspects that come with the marriage, to go through life together. And so she puts this, you know, don't marry for money. Don't marry for prestige. Marry someone you love, and uh, it's like a companion marriage as well as as a marriage of 
two people who love each other um, emotionally, physically. So, you know, that came, through, I, that came through really with Meg and her marriage. So she's yeah. the one, you know, don't marry, she was going to marry for wealth or position. She didn't. She married for love. But then within their relationship, they had to come to a point of conversion. So they realized it wasn't enough to marry for love either, that, that there was a moment there where there was a challenge of, well, you actually oh, yeah. have to have personal conversion. If, if you want happiness to come, even if you didn't marry for love, it still is going to require death to self and choosing the other over self. Well, and to recognize the other. There is a point there where each, each of them, John and Meg, uh, is having kind of a pity party. You know, my wife isn't there for me. She's too busy. I'll go to my friend friend's home for dinner, and she's like, he's not here. I am alone. He's not thinking of me. And I think, again, it's wise advice from Mrs. March that makes Meg realize, look at your husband. He needs to be in the nursery with his children, too. You know, don't exclude them, him because of the twins. So I think there's a lot of wise counsel in this book. And even though just glimmers, I think the one mention of Catholic faith was with um, Esther's rosary, which I just love that part where she says to Amy, you know, it's not a necklace. (laughs) And uh, I just love that part about how that's special. And then Esther helps Amy set up a little private reflective space Mm -hmm. where she can be alone with her thoughts and her prayers. So there are some elements of faith, but I think that overall it's just the love the sisterhood, the bonds, that don't, they don't even end with death. I mean, yeah. at the end, Beth is in their presence, and they feel her. For sure. And, and, uh, and I think it's, it's just, it has such warm overtones. Mm-hmm. And yet, some, for the Victorian times, some novel ideas. And, Indeed. of course, this comes from Alcott herself. And the uh, name of the book, once again, Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And uh, we thank you very much, Nancy, for uh, this wonderful discussion. Oh, of course. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Fantastic. So what questions do you have for Father Leffer or me about uh, uh, the faith, about the church, about things going on in the world? Go ahead and let us know in the Straight Talk segment coming up right after this. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Live. Engaging and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 